I want to move into our message this morning, um, but let me just pause for a second. Um, you know, before we open up Scripture together, it's sometimes good just to say, Lord, let us hear from you today. Might you speak to us and just open our hearts to that. So let's just pause for a moment and invite God to speak to us. Father, as you open your word today, teach us, correct us, challenge us, encourage us, allow us to hear from you this morning. You are so good. Thank you. Amen. We are finishing up this fall series we've been walking through called Wandering Not Lost. We've been spending several weeks. I don't know how many, anybody know how many weeks? I want to say 10 or 11. I'm not sure. But uh, we've been going for a while looking at the stories of Moses as he was in the wilderness with the people of God. And we called it Wandering Not Lost because they knew where they were heading. They had a destination in mind, the land of promise, the land that had been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were heading that direction, but they didn't know how long it would take They didn't know what kind of pain they were going to have to endure. Uh, They didn't have a roadmap laid out in front of them. They weren't sure where food was coming tomorrow or if they were going to have water today. And they were wandering, but not lost. And there are certainly times in our lives when we could use that phrase to describe us. You know, we might have an idea of where we're going, but we don't know exactly how we're going to get there. Uh, there's sometimes where it's, it's a painful process. We don't know how long we're going to have to go through that difficult time. Um, it, it seems like we're going to have to endure through some, some space and time, and we just don't know what God is doing in the midst of that, looking for his direction, his, his connection. And so scripture speaks into these seasons of our lives. One, one poet in the uh, Old Testament wrote these words in Psalm 74, there's not a sign or symbol in God." of God in sight, nor anyone to speak his name. No one knows what's going on. That's sometimes what life feels like, right? Kind of pessimistic, you know, you got to admit, no one knows what's going on. A more hopeful poet put it this way in Psalm 143, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Show me the way I need to go. Give me direction. I, I entrust my life to you. Give me connection with you. There are, are times in life when we long for this kind of direction and connection from God and from those around us. And, and we could tell stories, I'm sure, about times in our lives when we've wanted that. I just want to share one example in my life. When I was heading out of college, I had been volunteering at a church with middle school and high school kids, and they, moved me, they started to pay me about 15 hours a week. And as I was finishing up school, uh, they said, Nate, would you like to move into the parsonage of the church? And no one's living there now. Would you like to move in? I knew that would save us a lot of money on rent, and I was really interested in that. Uh, but I also knew that if I took that on, it was a deeper connection to the church. So it was kind of like me saying, okay, I'm going to stay. This is my job. I'm going to stay here. This is my first kind of career move, and I'm going to commit to this church if I move into the parsonage. At the same time, just a few days later, the school I'd been at, Northwestern uh, uh, University, they, they invited me to be a resident director with their, uh, on their campus. Their resident director was stepping away. I'd been a, a head resident assistant. And they said, Nate, would you like to have this role? I really enjoyed working with uh, college kids my own age. It was fun being a resident director and doing fun stuff there, training uh, leaders at the college campus. So I had these two roles, youth pastor or resident director. And they both were interesting, fun, um, engaging, but I didn't know which one to to say yes to. I didn't know which one God wanted me to pursue. 
And I, I spent time just like, God, give me an idea. And I, my heart would not settle down on one or the other. I talked to friends. Uh, I sat with mentors that I trusted and kind of shared what was going on. And they all just sort of said, well, you know, I don't know. You know, and they didn't know either. And uh, finally, a friend came to me and he said, I got it figured out, Nate. Here's what you need to do. Take the book of Proverbs. Read through Proverbs and have two columns. Every time you read a proverb that seems to say youth pastor, put a check in that column. Every time it seems to say resident director, put a check in that column. And I'm like, well, I can do that. You know, that's something I can do. So I'm going to do it. So I spent an hour or two, a couple hours doing that. And at the end, I counted up the check marks and you know the end of the story, right? They're both the same number of check marks, right? Exactly the same number. So I was like, oh, okay, that didn't help me at all. I'm still stuck, still not sure what to do. Psalm 74, it says, no one knows what's going on. You know, that's, that's kind of how I felt. I was wandering. I knew, I knew the destination. I wanted to be where God wanted me to be. I knew I wanted to invest in people and, and be part of what he was doing in the world. But the trail, the direction, which way I should go, it was just foggy. It was muddy. It was cloudy. I couldn't figure out which way he would have me go. I want to come back to that story in a minute, but it's just one example of these kinds of stories we have in our lives. We all have these seasons where we're not sure what God would have us do. When we're in the wilderness of a, of a relationship that's difficult or a desert of the job that's frustrating or maybe the valley of divorce or death, these things, that these stories we could tell of times when we feel like we're wandering in life, unsure what God would have us do, where he'd have us go. We've been there where we're looking for his direction. We're looking for a connection. And so I want to go back to Moses and the story of Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Exodus 33. And we're going to get back into the story and see what God might say to us about this wilderness experience with, with Moses. So we're in Exodus 33. Last week we were in Exodus 20. So pretty significant jump here that we've made uh, several chapters ahead. Moses has led the people out of enslavement in Egypt. Uh, through the doubts and anxiety of where food and water is going to come from. They're out in the wilderness area at the base of the mountain of God. And uh, here at the mountain of God is where Moses and Joshua went up and got the Ten Commandments from God, the, the instructions for a new way of life, how to live. Now that you're no longer slaves, here's a new way of life, and here's how I want you to live. And so they've got these Ten Commandments. Now, before they turn north and head to the Promised Land, God has one more set of instructions for them. He's going to help them put together what's called the tabernacle. It's a big tent that's going to be in the center of their camp area with thousands of people around it in their tents. And it's going to be a place to remind them that God is with them, that God is present. This tabernacle is where the presence of God would be with them and be a reminder for them. So in Exodus 33 here, we're after the Ten Commandments, but before the tabernacle, okay? That's where we are in the story. So look at verse 7, and let's read a few verses here. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went to the tent and all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped at the entrance to their tents. Lots of tents in this passage that we're reading about. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
So before there was this central tabernacle tent in the middle of the camp, Moses had a little tent outside the camp where anyone could go and meet with God. But when Moses would go there, something special would happen. You know, God would show up in a special way. This cloud would descend. And the passage here says that, they, that God and Moses would meet face to face, face to face. Now, we know that that's not a literal statement. They didn't sit and look in each other's faces. How do we know that? A couple reasons. First, God is not a person. He is not physical. God is spirit. So when scripture talks about the face of God or the arm of God or the hand of God, it's using metaphorical language to help us understand something about what God is doing. And most of the time when the Bible talks about the face of God, it's talking about how God gave attention to or what God was focusing on what he turned his face toward, what he was looking at and facing and giving focus to. So we know this is metaphorical language because God is not physical. But also, just a little further down, Exodus 33, verse 20, God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So God says, you know, Moses, if you see my face, that's going to be it for Moses, right? So he's not sitting face to face with God. They are having uh, a connection. When the Bible uses face to face, it's talking about an intimacy that they had together, uh, a kind of a, a relationship that was transparent and open and honest. And, the, and here the passage says that they were like friends talking together. It's the first time in the Bible someone is called a friend of God or given that kind of language, that they were a friend together. And we know Moses had to grow in this ability to sit with God because the first times he encountered God, his response was, was either fear or it was doubt that God was going to do what he was, said he was going to do. And now here, um, many, many months later, Moses has seen that God is faithful and good and true and, and trustworthy. And so Moses is able to sit and be in a, a, a close connection with God, a friendship with God. And this connection made, made all the difference for Moses. He's leading thousands of people through the wilderness, wandering towards a destination, not sure how to get there exactly, how long it's going to take. But this connection with God, his friend, God the Almighty, God the creator of the world, it, it was, a, it, it was a, a connection that meant so much to Moses and helped him realize that he was not isolated, that he was part of something bigger. And, and we long for that too. When we are wandering, when we are not sure what God's doing, we want to be connected to him. We want to know that we're part of a bigger story, that we're part of a community, that we're not alone, we're not isolated. And Moses found that kind of connection with God. And he, and he also found it with others in his community there. At the end of this little part we just read, we read about Joshua, son of Nun, who did not leave the tent um, and, and Joshua shows up in Moses' life. They went to the uh, top of the mountain together to get the Ten Commandments. Joshua was there in that first battle against the Amalekites that Janet was kind of mentioning that we talked about several weeks ago. And here Joshua is with uh, Moses at the tent of meeting. And, and the scripture says that Joshua was his aide, kind of Moses' support staff, his like personal assistant, you know, alongside and with him. And, and God, so Moses had this connection with God and with Joshua, and those kind of connections meant a lot to him. Let's keep reading here and, and um, see what else helped out in this time for Moses. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, Jessica last week talked about this rest. Um, she said, sometimes it's a nap that maybe you're going to take, right? But when God's talking about rest here, he's not talking about just a nap. He's saying, I'm going to bring you to that place, that space 
where you will have shalom, you will have peace, you will have a people, you will have a space on earth that you know is yours, that, that you can grow and build this nation. He says, you will have rest. In verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Verse 13 here, Moses says to God, teach me your ways that I might know you, that I might have favor from you. Another translation says it this way, show me your plans so I may know you and continue to please you. Show me the way, show me your plans. Moses here is saying, I need your direction. I need you to give me direction to know the way you want me to walk. Teach me, show me, direct me. I want to be step by step with you, Father God. Never walking outside what you have for me. I need your direction. I want to reflect you to the world. I want you to be seen in my life. I want your goodness and your favor to be reflected as I walk in the ways you've called me to. As Moses and the people are wandering in the wilderness, Moses says, give us your direction. Give us a connection with you. We need to see you at work. And this is the main thing I want to say to you today. When you are wandering through life, you want to be directed and connected. When you are wandering through life, you want to be directed and connected. When things change, when something ends, when something new begins, when you're unsure, when you're asking questions, when the decision doesn't make sense, when you're wandering, what you're looking for is, is road signs and guidance and connection. You're looking for those next steps. We want God to, to lead us and direct us. So when I'm feeling unsure, I want my next step to move towards confidence, not more insecurity. When I'm feeling disconnected, I want my next steps to lead towards community, not more isolation. When I'm feeling fearful, I want my next steps to lead towards peace, not toward anxiety. When you are wandering through life, you want to be directed and connected would you just say that phrase with me? Just to kind of get it in us a little bit more. Okay, say this with me. When you are wandering through life, you want to be directed and connected. So give me a couple more minutes. I want to talk about those two words, directed and connected. For Moses and the people, the direction of God was often very clear and very visible. Exodus 13, we read these words. God went ahead of the people in a pillar of cloud during the day to guide them on the way, and at night as a pillar of fire to give them light. Thus they could travel both day and night, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. It never left the people. That's pretty clear direction for them, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. If you are ever in a spot and you're trying to figure out a decision you want to make and you're saying, God, which way would you have me go? And as you're wondering that and asking that question, if a pillar of fire descends from the sky right, and floats in front of you, it starts to head in a direction, follow that pillar of fire, all right? <laughs> this is what the people of Israel were experiencing, that kind of clarity, not all the time, but often when that fire would start to move away, they would start to move as well. When the cloud headed out on, on, on the road, they, they headed out as well. They moved with God when he gave them that kind of direction. It was his grace and his kindness that showed up every day, each day, to guide them along. So we may not have a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud in the sky, but we do still have access to God's direction for us. He speaks. He's speaking every day, each day. He speaks through his word, right? 
He speaks through his, his people. He speaks through his presence and his, his quiet voice. He speaks through creation. All these different ways we can hear from God. And it's not always obvious, but it's accessible to us. It's available to us. But there are also a lot of other voices that are speaking, aren't there? There's a lot of other people that would love to direct your life, other forces that would like to guide you into other directions. And, and so we need to practice discerning the voice of God or the direction of God and, and how to see past some of the other questions that people might ask to help give us direction, some of the other phrases that we might hear. Let me give you just a few of those. This last week I was watching a sit, sitcom called uh, uh, Ted Lasso. And there's this one scene when Ted comes uh, into the office and he, the night before he had a, a one-night stand if you know what that is. And, and, and he's feeling a little guilty about that. He's feeling conflicted about it. And I would say, well, rightly so. God created sex to take place in a covenant relationship of marriage. So he's feeling bad about what happened. He comes into the office. He's got two friends and they are talking about this with him. And one friend says to him, well, did you have fun? What, was it fun, Ted? That was the question that sometimes tries to direct our lives. Was it fun, well, we know that's a pretty shallow question. It's not that helpful. It's all about how we experience life. It's not at all about how others experience life. It's, it's about our happiness, and the purpose of our life cannot just be happiness. But sometimes we ask that question, is it fun? Should, which one should I take? Well, which one's more fun? That might be a question we might ask. Here's another one sometimes that will try to speak into it, the direction of our life. Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Pain avoidance is a pretty big motivator for many of us. And, and a lot of us have been through seasons where we've gone through hardship and, and pain. We've gone through a relational hurt or, or physical hurt or emotional hurt. And, and we're not all that interested in heading back into that, right, once we've been through it. But there's times when that's exactly what God wants us to experience to grow in some new way. There's times when the things we hold on to so tightly that God has to begin to pull the fingers open and that can be a painful process. We hold so tightly to our, our biases. We hold on to injustice. We, we hold on to, like, when we try to manage, manage sin instead of confessing our sin. And, and God will begin to pull one finger back at a time just to try to let us go. And it, it's a painful process. But it can bring us freedom. It can bring us a new way of life. And sometimes the painful thing is exactly what God wants to use to grow us in new ways. It's not easy, but it can be used by God. Another phrase sometimes we look at for direction is, um, is it easy? Is it easy? If I, if I have two options, which one's easier for me? Which one is the path of least resistance, we'll sometimes say. Or in the, in the Christian world, sometimes we'll say, well, which door is open? Did God open that door and close that door? Go through the open door. It's the one that's open. It's easy. Now, of course, sometimes that's true. That's what we should do. But, but isn't there maybe times when God would close a door to see if you're going to, if you're going to surrender to him, if you're going to know your calling, and you're going to go up to that door and kind of push that door open because it's not the easy way, but you know that's the way that God has called you. Sometimes doors get closed, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to try to address that and move through that door still. Is it easy? So I want to ask you a question. Do you think your life would be better or worse if God directed more of your decisions? What do you think? Better. <laughs> Would your life be better or worse if God directed more of your decisions? I think we know it would be better. I think about my own life. At the times when I followed my own best ideas instead of what God was directing me to do, that's when things get ugly. That's when things get dicey. 
And so I want to encourage you, instead of asking, is it fun or does it hurt or is it easy, ask instead, what is the wise thing God would have me do? What is the wise thing God would have me do? Because his wisdom is available to us. His wisdom offers us direction when we're not sure what to do. He'll move us into these ways that will bring hope and joy and peace and strength. And James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his uh, letter in the New Testament, chapter 1, he wrote these words. This is a paraphrasing of his words. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. That's good news for us, that, that God will give us the wisdom we need when we ask him to direct us and bring us to where he wants us to go. Now, it won't come in our timeline, right? It will come in his perfect timing. So sometimes we have to wait. But we have to, let's ask that question, God, what is the wise thing to do? When you are wandering, you want that kind of direction. You want that kind of connection. Moses is looking for that connection with God and with his people. And back in Exodus 33, Moses talks to God and he says, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is wondering, who are the people that are coming with me? Whom will you send with me? And I'm thinking, whom? You're surrounded by thousands of people in the nation of Israel. That's whom, Moses. These are the people that God is taking you with. But it's not that obvious for Moses because of something that just had happened before this passage. Moses is up on the mountaintop receiving the Ten Commandments, and the people are down in the valley, and they've been waiting weeks and weeks, and they decide they're going to create their own fake God. They, they, they take gold, and they melt it down, and they shape it into a calf, and they say, this is, this is now our God. Moses, we don't know what happened to him. This is now our God. In fact, in Exodus 32, they say, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This fake gold cow, this is the God now who brought you out of Egypt. Now, we made the point a couple weeks ago, why did God bring them out of Egypt? Over and over, he says, I brought you out of Egypt so that you would know that I am the Lord your God, that I am the one true God. We see this in Exodus 6, verse 7. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God wanted the Egyptians and Pharaoh and Moses and the Israelites to know that he is the one true God. And now the people are saying, this little golden fake cow God we just made, this is the one who brought us out of slavery in Egypt. And God doesn't just shrug his shoulders when they do that, right? He doesn't, nah, that's a, no big deal. That's not what God does. He says, Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm going to start over with you. I'm going to build a nation through you, Moses. So when Moses asks, who's coming with me? It's a real question because of what just happened. He doesn't know who's going to be joining him. And Moses wants the people to come with him. He wants this connection with the people. And as you continue to read the stories of the Bible, you know that's what God wants as well. In this moment, he's saying, this is serious what's taking place. This is serious, the sin that I see. But God wants connection with his people, just like Moses does. And so Moses says, who's coming with me? God says, I'm with you, and these people, they will be with you. We need connection with each other. We need connection with God so that we might know where he would take us. I want to go back to my story when I had that youth pastor role and the resident director role. I didn't know which one to do. I have a friend named Alan, and Alan and I got together, and he's a little bit older than I am, and uh, I, I thought, maybe Alan can help me make this decision. So we, we sat down together. He says, okay, Nate, what do you think God wants you to do? I said, that's the problem. I don't know. I got youth pastor. I got resident director. I don't know. And he said, okay, take a step back. Look at the bigger picture. What does God want for you in this life? What does he want you to do? 
I said, well, I, I think he wants me to invest in other people. He wants me to help people grow in their faith. He wants me to work with those who are younger than me that they might come to know Jesus and grow in their faith. And he said, okay. And he made this good observation. He said, college kids, once they get into college, in their 20s, they're a little more settled in who they are. Their personalities are kind of more stable. Their, their belief systems are already kind of coming together. Uh, your ability to impact them is going to be limited. He said, but if you look at middle schoolers or high schoolers, they're still exploring. They're still wide open to what God is doing in their world and what he is calling them into. The kinds of things, their personality is much more open. He said, so you're going to have a greater impact if you're working with, with younger students instead of older students. And it was just amazing in that moment because I was connected to Alan. It's almost like God just sort of cleared it all up for me. And it just, it just came on me like, yes, that, of course, youth pastor, that's what he wants me to do. That's where he wants me to go. Not that resident director is bad. It was just, that's what he wanted for me. And it was because I had this connection with Alan that, that God worked through him, spoke through him, so I could know where I should go. In verse uh, 15 and 16, Moses asked God about this connection with his people. And he says, it's so important that we stay connected as a people, but we also need to have a connection with you, Father God. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How will people know that we're connected, Father God, if you are not with us? And for the people, that symbol that Moses is talking about here, what, what he's looking for is this kind of tent of meeting. That was the symbol for them, that God was with them, this tent outside of the camp. And soon it would be this tabernacle inside the camp, at the center of the camp, a place where they would be reminded that God was real, that God was with them, that his presence was there, that they were deeply connected to this God, no matter how long they had to wander, no matter how far they had to go, this personal God, God their Redeemer, was with them, among them, leading them, connected to them, and directing them. And there's times when I wonder, what would that have been like to have a place like that in your community? Can you imagine driving to work and you turn the corner to come out of the neighborhood and there's that tent of meeting and there's a pillar of fire in front of it and you're like, oh yeah, God is here. He's right there. I mean, I think I would stop most mornings, you know, just to take a minute to be reminded that God was present. I think about, man, what would that be like to have that in our world today? But the great news of Scripture is that we have something better than that. We have, we have a better tabernacle. We have a better evidence of God's presence with us. And we find it in, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 9. You can read about a better tabernacle. Here's what Hebrews 9 says. Jesus did not enter a sacred tent made by people. The tent was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, and he did it to stand in front of God for us. He is there right now. The writer of Hebrews is helping us understand that Jesus is our place of connection. Jesus is our shelter. He is a, a better tabernacle. The beginning of John chapter 1, it talks about how God moved into our neighborhood, put on flesh, and tabernacled among us is kind of what the Greek gets to there in chapter 1 of John. Jesus is that tent of meeting for us. And in case we aren't clear about that, later on in John chapter 2, we're told Jesus is standing with the religious leaders and they're saying to him, how, how is it that you have the authority to, to say what you're saying and to, to do what you're doing? And Jesus is in front of the temple, the kind of permanent tabernacle that they had built in Jerusalem once they got settled there. And he said, do you see this temple? He said, if you wipe out that temple, I'll build it back up in three days. That's how you know I have authority. And they start to laugh because it took 46 years to build this temple. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. And so then John says in, in verse 21 of chapter 2, but the temple Jesus had spoken of was his body. 
He was the temple. He is the tabernacle. We have an amazing connection with our God, amazing direction from our God because Jesus gave his life for us. He is a better tabernacle. He is God in the flesh. He is our Savior and Redeemer, and He gives us connection with God and direction from God. If you don't know that, if you don't have that connection with Jesus, then I want to, I want to invite you to surrender to Him today, to receive forgiveness from Jesus, to, to acknowledge that you need Him in your life and that He can guide you and connect you to Father God in a way that you may not be experiencing now. We need this life-giving connection with God have his direction in our life. As you leave this morning, I want you to pick up something in the lobby. We've got these little tent stakes uh, that I want you to pick up. And on them is a little card, and it's got our kind of key phrase today. When you are wandering through life, you want to be directed and connected. And then it's got the Hebrews 9 passage that talks about Jesus being that place for us. So I'd love for you to pick one of these up and take it home and put it in a house plant you've got at your apartment or put in that little cup where you've got your toothbrush in the bathroom, uh, wherever you want to stick it, just to remind you uh, of the, what we've talked about this morning. And if you, you know, if you lose the card and you just have the tent stake, that's great. I mean, because this is that image of, of the tent that we live in, the, our life here on earth. And there's times when, when the wilderness comes, when the wind starts to blow and where we feel like things are falling apart and it's these stakes that hold the tent down, that hold us to the anchor, that keep us connected to God. We are connected and we are directed by our Father God because of what Jesus has done for us. So I want you to hold on to these as a reminder of that as we head into the Advent season. Let's take a minute and just thank God for this truth that we walk with, with our Creator and we are connected to Him. Will you pray with me? I want to invite the worship band to come up as we're praying so we can close in worship. But let's, let's talk to God together. Father God, we are so thankful for your great love for us, for your grace that meets us every day. We are thankful that we are connected to you, that you direct our lives, Lord, that as we are in the wilderness of life from time to time, that you are with us, that we are not alone. We thank you for these stories of Moses and the Exodus and, and the purpose of it, that you might be revealed as the one true God and your heart that your people would walk in freedom that they would walk in a new way and new life and be your people. And because of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago, Father God, we can be connected to you. We can be your sons and daughters. We can be part of what you're doing in the world today. So we invite you to continue to teach us and encourage us and correct us. Would you continue to help us know this connection we have with you, that we can sit with you face to face in intimacy as as friends and talk about life. We can trust you. You are so good. And you can direct us. And we're not sure whether we should turn left or right. You will give us the wisdom to know which way to go. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your love and your grace. And it's all because of what Jesus did. Thank you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.